Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goak. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities. This week, I'll be discussing the huge rise in homelessness seen across the North and particularly the situation in Manchester. You'll hear from some of those that are sleeping rough on the streets, a young mum being housed in temporary accommodation, two of the many local charities striving to make a difference, and the political editor of the Manchester Evening News. I've slept in loads of random places. I've slept in car parks, airports, hospitals, tents. Been attacked, been robbed. Yeah, it's been mad. But put it as the toughest thing I've had to go through. George is just 22 years old and has been living on the streets of Manchester for the last 18 months. He's one of hundreds of people across the north who found themselves sleeping rough in the last few years. The latest official government count estimated that there were 740 people rough sleeping across the north in 2018, but many believe that figure is a huge underestimate. Risha Lancaster is the founder of Coffee for Craig, a homeless charity that has been operating in Manchester for the last six years. There's, a, there's always an underestimate because you don't really know the figures, so you've got lots of people who are hidden homeless, lots of people who don't access any services, there's a lot of people who sleep during the day because they feel safer sleeping during the day and walk around at night, so they don't get seen sort of bedded down or or they just get missed. They, I think the, the figure is absolutely huge, it's a lot bigger than any of us know, unfortunately. However, while the government figures are flawed, what they do show is that the problem has been getting worse. The 740 rough sleepers counted in the North in 2018 is nearly three times as many as the number counted in 2010, when there are 264 people estimated to be living on the streets. And while in some regions, such as the South East and South West, the number has improved in the last year, across the North it's continuing to rise. John Ryan is the hub manager of the Greater Manchester Branch of Shelter, a national housing and homelessness charity. Well, it is utterly shocking that the figures are still rising and rough sleeping is still a major problem in all of our cities. If you walk around the streets of Manchester or Liverpool, you will see increased numbers of people. Uh, and that's been happening year on year. It's the perfect storm, really, where you know the, 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 the benefit, the universal credit benefit cuts, uh, rising rents, uh, and the inability of people to, uh, even the safety net, really, that, 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 that's just been eroded. So that people are, are, are falling through, they're hitting bottom. Poverty is really kind of quite key for a lot of people. You know, they hit the bottom and it's very hard to get off the, off, off the ground. The problem is particularly bad in Manchester, which has seen the number of rough sleepers counted increase 17 times since 2010, the biggest increase out of anywhere in the north. The number counted in the city nearly doubled in the last year alone rising from 123 rough sleepers in 2017 to 217 in 2018. Manchester Council have said that they are working hard to provide both accommodation and the support needed to help people get off and stay off the streets. The council is taking part in a bed every night scheme, providing emergency shelter for people sleeping rough this winter, and say their outreach team are in the city every night making connections with rough sleepers and working to get them the comprehensive care they need. A spokesperson for the council said, The drivers of rough sleeping are often out of our control. Things like universal credit, reductions in assistance for housing costs and the treatment of young people have caused more people to end up on the region's streets. We are therefore trying to tackle the symptoms of the results of national policies. Numbers seem to increase every every sort of year and I think that's mostly down to austerity and 
the things that the government are doing to us really poverty we've got people in extreme poverty we've got people who are just hopeless and helpless and it's absolutely horrendous out there this shouldn't be happening at this day and age not in you know 2019 what are we doing why are we letting people sleep on the streets it's ridiculous it's a humanitarian crisis at the end of the day well it's not exactly what i vision my life i want it to be i want a nice house and a car and good life yeah I know I'll achieve everything that I want in my life because I said before that there's people that have been homeless and achieved big things. It, it doesn't get in the way of what you want to achieve because you, if you're strong, you overcome it. It just takes time, patience is the key word, and resilience not to give in. Jen Williams, political editor for the Manchester Evening News, says that the rising number of rough sleepers in Manchester has become visibly worse in recent years, particularly as certain drugs have arrived on the scene. Well, I think it exploded in the last five years or so. And, I mean, that's been the consequence of a variety of things. I would say kind of local authority cuts uh, lie very squarely at the heart of that, but also welfare changes and lack of social housing. And I think that that started to become visible probably around 2014, 2015, maybe. And then that kind of, uh, in 2017, coincided with the emergence of spice as a drug, as a, as a street drug. I've been told by charity people that, you know, up to sort of ninety five percent of people on the streets are using spice and the problem with spice when it first emerged was that there there were some very strong strains of it and very variable strains of it as the kind of manufacturers and dealers were were coming up with these various new batches and there would be weeks where it would be extremely obvious that there were people in the centre of Manchester on it as a drug, um, because the symptoms are so obvious and so visible and, and quite kind of intimidating. I think that kind of escalated the public awareness of the levels of rough sleeping that we've got in the city. Not everybody who's homeless or rough sleeping is on, are on drugs, but unfortunately there's quite a high proportion. And I think what happens is you, you end up going on the street, you, become, you, you, you go in a downward spiral, you become despondent and... You feel like they've got nothing less. You 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 feel hopeless, and then somebody comes along and goes, "That'll help you feel better." You're gonna take it because it does help you forget. It helps you feel warm. It helps you forget why you're there in the first place, and it helps you forget that you're just on the street and you've got no hope. You've got no nowhere to go. No one helping you. You know it. I don't blame people for t- for taking drugs. Drug poisoning is the leading cause of death among rough sleepers. In 2018, it was estimated that 726 people died on the streets or in homeless hostels across England and Wales, 294 of them from drug poisoning. 19 of those who died were in Manchester. The, the, this, this has been a growing problem, really, again, that, that you know, we're seeing people... If one person dies on the streets, that's one person too many. 726 is a national tragedy. And so these are all avoidable deaths... No, these are people that don't need to be on the streets. These figures were published for the first time in December last year and only became available after pressure from journalists and campaign groups who had previously been relying on anecdotal evidence. The figures show that the number of homeless people dying on the streets has also risen sharply in the last five years. In 2013, it was estimated that 104 rough sleepers died across the north, more than doubling to 209 deaths in 2018. Yeah, I mean, we were kind of part of the push to get those homeless death figures published in the first place, really, because up until the ONS started 
uh, publishing these experimental figures, and I think it's probably worth highlighting that they're probably an underestimate, probably a substantial underestimate. We were getting bits and pieces of anecdotal stories about people dying on the streets, and it was very difficult to track them because there was no systemic process for recording who they were, where they died, and what they died from. We would be writing about rough sleepers dying on the streets during cold snaps. We would be writing about people who had died from particularly strong strains of of drugs, and that included spice when spice emerged. And I also think there's a kind of inevitability there about people dying on the streets. I mean, look at the lifestyles that they're leading. If you're combining likely drug addiction with, in many cases, alcohol addiction, with physical health problems, living on the streets in what is quite a dangerous environment, then also exposed to the cold in the winter time. It's inevitable that, that that you're going to be seeing that. And the more people are living on the streets, you know, it's not that much of a surprise that you would then see the number of people dying on the streets going up. Certainly, you know, the ONS estimates reflect probably what you would expect, which is that, you know, high numbers of people dying from liver damage from from drug misuse uh, and very low life expectancies on the streets. We're talking about, um, you know, average ages of, sort of early 40s, both for men and women living on the streets. So, so yeah, I mean, those figures, to be honest, perfectly coincided with, with what I would expect to be the case, but just probably don't reflect the actual numbers. Risha herself has been directly affected by these issues, which is what led her to set up a charity in Manchester. Coffee for Craig's named after my brother, Craig. He... He unfortunately was homeless on the streets in Cardiff and he died in September 2013 in a car park of a heroin overdose. When Craig died, it was it was a real shock and it was really horrible and we wanted to sort of do something in his name so we started off giving out cups of coffee and saying it was from Craig so just to sort of keep it alive and make sure he didn't die in vain really. When we came up here, we couldn't really stop, do you know what I mean? Once you kind of know what's out there and people's stories and what's going on, you, you kind of get a bit hooked and you don't really... I think because it's so unjust that people are sleeping on the streets and so wrong, if you, if you can do something and you find that you can do something, you can't kind of stop. Coffee for Craig now runs every evening of the week, from 7pm till 9pm on weekdays and 5pm till 7pm on weekends. They offer hot meals, showers, clothing, computer and phone access, one-to-one advice, help finding shelter and medical support. Rick is just one of the homeless people that uses their services regularly. I come here for some home-cooked food. Although I say it's professional, it's also got like a, a real kind of homey feel to it. There's, there's something real cool here. There is, there is a, there's, a, there's a strong underlying sense of decency here. And uh, yeah, that's what, that's what keeps me coming back. Um, the food's always good, the company's good, um, it's quite peaceful, it's a nice break for people who are properly on the streets, it's, it is a good break for them and it does them some good. Extra clothes, extra layers, maybe a sleeping bag, bully hats, things that, things that you know, are going to help to sustain you while you're going through the turmoil of homelessness. Of course, there are many other homeless charities that are operating in Manchester and across the north. Jen recommends one website in particular that can help you find a way to make a difference in your local area. Well, there's a really good website called um, Street Support, which has got sections for all different parts of the country, so it's not just a Manchester thing. And if you go onto that and put in whereabouts you are, it'll tell you all the kinds of voluntary 
help that is needed currently in the place where you are and also what kind of donations are needed. So that's not necessarily uh, financial donations. It's surprising stuff. Maybe they're doing out uh, a bit of a building in order to make a shelter or something like that and they need somebody with some DIY skills or they need somebody who can do a bit of cooking once a week or they need a particular kind of food donating to their food bank or whatever the thing may be. But it's it's quite a good one-stop shop and it's the one that charities kind of always point us towards when we're writing homelessness articles to kind of you know we'll quite often put a link at the bottom to say this is how you can help. Donations and volunteering are a great way for local people to help tackle the problem however the real solutions to rising homelessness go way beyond what individuals can offer. The biggest challenge is finding housing there's not enough housing so Andy Burnham's done the bed every night scheme and I think no matter how many hostels you you commission or how many hostels are out there, I don't think there's ever going to be enough because, unfortunately, the tide of people who are coming out and having to face homelessness themselves, we can't keep up with the demand. A lot of the hostels are, are clogged up because we haven't got enough houses to put people into after, you know, after we get them through the hostels and... You know, all the services are working tirelessly, day after day after day. But there's nowhere to put people because they're not building enough houses, there's not enough flats for people. It's just a thankless task, to be honest. The problem of housing affects more than just visible homelessness on the streets. There is also the issue of hidden homelessness, where people may have a roof over their heads, but no accommodation where they have a legal right to stay. Between January and March this year, more than 22,000 people across the North went to their local council for help because they were either homeless or at risk of becoming so. That might be because they were evicted from privately rented accommodation for being in rent arrears, or were fleeing violence or domestic abuse. Councils have a duty to help you if you are considered to be homeless through no fault of your own and are in priority need. For example, if you have children, are pregnant or are otherwise particularly vulnerable. They might help you to keep your home through support with claiming benefits or negotiations with the landlord, or they might help you to find a new home with payment towards a deposit or a referral to supported housing projects. You may have to stay in emergency housing while they look into your situation. And if you're still homeless after eight weeks, then you may have to stay in temporary accommodation until longer term housing is available. Well, so one of the areas that we're really concerned about is those people that are in temporary accommodation and in uh, dispersed accommodation across Manchester, Greater Manchester and the north of England. We're seeing just across Greater Manchester over 2,000 people, families, living in temporary accommodation. And this isn't just about numbers. It's about, this is about people, families, children. This is children who are losing out on their health because they haven't to move GPs or they can't get registered with a GP because they're in a, in, a, in a dress that then can move again very quickly. This is children who have to, leave, have to move schools sometimes three times in, a number, in, in the same number of years. Um, all affects their life chances and their well-being. I've, we've we've heard stories of, of, of from mothers who don't feed themselves because they can't afford to, but they're feeding their children and ending up in hospital themselves. We've heard stories about children's mental health being grossly affected by not having a, a, a route and a, and a place to, to, to root, to have friends. So we've seen you know so the, the effects of of the housing crisis, the housing emergency, are far-reaching, but there's a human cost to this, and it goes way beyond the figures. 
What the figures do show is that, like rough sleeping, the number of people being housed in temporary accommodation has soared massively in the last decade. Between January and March this year, there were 4,770 families in temporary accommodation across the North, including a total of 5,160 children. That's up from just 1,990 families in the same situation in 2010, meaning the figure has more than doubled since then. In Manchester, the figure has soared even more drastically, from 273 families in 2010 to 1,971 this year. A spokesperson from Manchester Council said, we are still seeing increasing numbers of families and individuals coming to us for help with accommodation, as vulnerable residents continue to bear the brunt of austerity and changes to welfare. This is an unprecedented challenge. This demand means there is continual pressure on the system, which is why we are investing in services and working with partners to prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. However, we need to provide the right accommodation for the makeup of families that present to us, which means that we sometimes need to provide short-term accommodation in B&Bs and hotels to ensure that people are housed safely when we find a more suitable, longer-term solution for them. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of catastrophic rise. It's, it's, I mean, Manchester Council even if you just look at the spending on their temporary accommodation is just absolutely extraordinary. They, they've been spending about £2.9 million about five years ago, and they're now on course to spend about £19 million this year. And they certainly during the course of this year, every pretty much every month they've seen an increase in people coming through the door seeking help. The problem that Manchester's got is they haven't got anybody to put anywhere to put people. So they're seeing, I think they saw 1,700 people come through the door for help with homelessness in September. They, they simply have not got the accommodation in a city that is at, uh, under as high demand as Manchester is. Uh, to put people, when you're looking to place a family in temporary accommodation, suddenly, you know, you don't have very many options. And so increasingly, they will be sent to other parts of Greater Manchester, which may not sound like a big deal. But if you've got to get four bus journeys to get your kids to school in the morning, it starts to become a big deal. And that's just one way in which it affects people's lives when they're placed 10 miles away. Nadia is a mum of three who first became homeless in April 2018. I was attacked at the property I was living at in Crumsall. It was a private rented property and I was attacked by a neighbour. And then from there, the police told me they didn't have enough manpower to arrest her and deal with her six children. So they told me to flee. And that would be the best thing for me to do is to flee. So that's what I did. And was never supported in that decision. Was just left to go and do it and give everything up in Crumsall. To begin with, Nadia and her children were placed in a B&B in Manchester. It was more of a rehabilitation centre for single adults. A family should never have been put in there. Um, my children were exposed to drugs um, in the corridor, stinging their eyes. They were exposed to alcoholics, like, breathing in on them. There was one night two males tried to get into the room. Um, we were at the very top, so we had no way of communicating with downstairs that this was happening. Um, it was just, it was isolation again. We just stayed in the room. I had to drop the kids to school every morning, still in Crumson. There was no means for us to cook. Like, I couldn't make them a normal breakfast, so I'd give them dry cereal in a sandwich bag, fruit, try and get them to school early enough so they could go breakfast club for a hot breakfast. Um, there was just dirt all up the beds, holes in the bedding. Um, we had to scrub like a, a layer of dirt out of the bath before I could bath the children. 
and there was just nothing in the room for us. Um, we would dry clothes with a hairdryer. We we wouldn't be able to make like you know something quick, so we'd eat. We'd have to go out and like eat out. Um, so yeah, it just it wasn't the nicest at all. You didn't feel like a human in there. If you wanted to use the Wi-Fi, you had to be downstairs. You weren't allowed it in your rooms, which was difficult for the kids more so. Um, so I'd say like a standard of living. We were stripped of a standard of living. And even then, diet-wise, you know, we had to completely change our diet to what means we had around us. So yeah, I wouldn't want any other family to step foot in there. Since Nadia was in that B&B last year, Manchester Council have ramped up inspections on their temporary accommodation stock. However, Nadia's experiences are sadly not unique. B&Bs in particular have a, a reputation for, you know, for having quite poor conditions. There are some, however, that you know, have, have really made an effort. But, but our view as, as an organisation is that nobody should have to be in a B&B. And, that, and we would not advocate for anybody going through the B&B system. Uh, it is not an appropriate way to live. If you've got a family and you can't uh, you know, boil a kettle, you can't make some toast for your children, you've got to buy all their food from fast food places. Well, that's not, not, not in line with anything that we really want to see for our children. You know, we've seen people being placed in bed and breakfasts that frankly they really shouldn't have been. I've interviewed mothers who've been put in hotels that I've been inside and they can't understand how it can possibly be deemed appropriate, places where there were criminals, places where there were people dealing drugs. There was a, a young mum that I spoke to last year who'd she wasn't allowed to take her pram up into her room, so it had to stay in the foyer of the hotel and she'd come downstairs and there would be drugs left in the pram and people forced to sign these kind of quite inhumane licence agreements when they moved into these spaces that basically says you can take one bag into your room, you can't have a kettle, you can't cook any food in there, you can't have visitors, your boyfriend or your, or your family or your friends can't visit you, you must be in by this time of night. I mean, it's pretty horrendous. And although in the vast majority of cases, people won't be in there more than a few weeks, if you're a small child, that lack of safety and security is going to leave an impression on you. You're going to know that your parent doesn't feel safe. You're going to know that everything has been disrupted. And then from there, you'll then get placed into temporary accommodation, who knows where. And the, and the quality of that temporary accommodation itself may not be particularly brilliant. After a week in the B&B, the council moved Nadia into temporary accommodation in Oldham, miles away from her support networks. The last straw was the toilet broke because it was old and cracked. And then if we wanted to use the toilet, we had to go down a level. So I was like, I don't need to live like this. I know, you know, my situation and I'm homeless, but we don't need to live like this. So then um, they rang and said, we, we've got no properties in Salford, but we have a three-bedroom temporary accommodation in Oldham. And there was just no choice. It was, you have to take it or you're intentionally homeless. So then from there, it was like, I'm completely away from any support, any family, any friends I'm away from um, by force. And there was just nothing really in there. It was just a sofa, two sofas, table and chairs and beds that was it and we had to leave all our belongings at the house in Crumpton so it was like starting fresh again but we weren't allowed to put a clock up we weren't allowed to you know hang a mirror we weren't allowed to like hang the kids work from school nothing was allowed to be put up because like they made it very clear that it's not ours you know so don't 
touch it as if it is yours and then said you could be here for two years so it was a bit of a what am I supposed to do for two years like look at the same walls I just could never give the kids what they wanted they wanted their own room you know they wanted to feel comforts like any other child but I kept having to explain you're not allowed you know and it was that explanation of you're not allowed it's not our home that was the hardest to keep repeating and repeating Mentally, they they were not okay. Um, they just my daughter became very very anxious. My son was angry. It was like they started to sort of rebel against me, and I just didn't have the answers to give them. My youngest, he was just possessive. So yeah, it affected them individually, and then they weren't making friendships like normal children would, and that was hard for me to watch and then my own sort of mental health deteriorate. But then as a mum, you have to put yourself to one side, um, which then that's when I became very sick then. And then they didn't really have the mum that they should have had because the whole situation just took its toll on me. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, some of the evidence that we hear is that people, you know, living in temporary accommodation, people, families who are, you know, feeling quite isolated and not getting the support they need. Uh, you know, we need a, a health system that recognises that people might move boroughs as well. We need mental health systems that mean that people can register for help and support wherever they are in the borough. Because if they are placed out of the, out of Manchester because there's not not enough accommodation here, then they need to be able to get the services they need to to to. to their family to thrive and to we also need to be make sure that people stay within their networks as well but right at the root of this social housing and it's and it, there just hasn't been enough of it built and you know our ask uh, uh, is that you know nationally we need over the next 20 years 3.1 million uh, homes built we need 90,000 a year just to keep up with the demand as it as it grows over the next 20 years Manchester Council say they build hundreds of affordable homes every year. A spokesperson for the council said, Manchester has one of the highest rates of social housing in the country, with roughly 68,000 social homes. However, we face a huge demand, with roughly 5,000 households currently on the housing register in need of rehousing. After living in temporary accommodation for over a year, Nadia and her children were giving long-term social housing this summer and have started to piece their lives back together. She's using her experience to speak out about the problem in the hope that it will bring change and prevent others from going through the same hardships. I never imagined that I would stand up and sort of speak about the whole experience in front of anybody other than like a, a therapist, really. Um, but I just felt like the numbers are getting larger, you know, and there's more families. And if another family is placed where we were placed, and then put through the same process that we were put through, how many more damaged families is there gonna be in a year's time, in two years time? So inside me, it was like, that's sort of what I'm passionate about now, that homelessness, this face of homelessness is not present. You know, like rough sleeping is because it's there, whereas this is more systematic. This is, we're a number in the system. And it was a case of, no, people need to know that this face is you know, to their numbers, like we're not just a one plus three, like I'm me and my children, they're their own people as well. So I feel like if I speak about it, make the right people aware of the process and what it does do, how it does tear families apart, how it breaks people down, 
then something will change within the system which will mean nobody else will go through it you know and I think it'll give purpose to why me and my children went through it Thank you for listening to the first episode of The North End Numbers with me, Annie Goke. And thank you so much to all my guests for sharing their stories. Join us next time on the 6th of December when we'll be celebrating the boom in restaurants seen across the North. The North End Numbers is a laudable production.